Another edition of Beat the Closing Number. It's NFL Week 7. Mo and I breaking down our best bets. You can follow Mo on Twitter at Mo Noir. You can follow me on Twitter at Eli Herskovich. We are a part of the lines.com, which you can follow on Twitter for X, whatever Elon Musk wants to call it these days. We're going to have to start paying for Twitter, Mo. I don't know if you saw that or X, but fun news ahead for everybody involved. I think and- I did see that. Isn't it like a dollar a year or something, though? I saw different things out there all over the place. So who the hell knows? But much more importantly, people are trying to make money on their NFL Week 7 betting card rather than hand it over to Elon Musk. And before we give you our bets and you make the decision of whether or not you want to play it as well, give the video a thumbs up and ring the bell to get notifications whenever the Lions releases a new sports betting video on any market, including... The NFL, Major League Baseball, those been betting the MLB postseason, got the League Championship Series going on with the Phils, D-backs, and Rangers Astros. Apple Podcasts as well, if you're checking us out and just want to listen to our product, available on Spotify, Apple, you could leave a five-star review and a nice comment for us there on Apple, wherever you find your favorite podcast as well, any platform you prefer. Beat the closing number this season, Mo. We are 15 and 8 on the year with spreads and totals. Uh, myself personally, 14 and 10 at a nice three and one week six. Two parter for you. How did your week six bets go? And how was the poker tournament? Got my ass kicked. So uh in the pokers, anyways. Uh football wise, it was a uh, roughly break even, I think. I think maybe I made a little bit, but it was like teasers and stuff like that i didn't i think about break even overall to be honest not very excited i should have made some money a couple of the beats of the year that i just want to rant about real quick how did the over not come in in london that was outrageous that is one of the worst i've seen ever there was like 12 field goals in that game both teams were marching between the 20s i mean that was absolutely ridiculous still had a shot if Malik Willis could do something. So that one was painful. And then the other painful one, obviously, was the Seahawks. Man, they completely dominated the Bengals, but just never, they just kept driving to the 10 and then getting sacked, basically, or throwing an interception. That was, uh, so, so Geno Smith, I think, had a 94th percentile CPOE in that game. Let me tell you, it was about the third percentile once he got to the 10. So, uh, that, that was not fun. Although I will say, in fairness, a catchable touchdown would have been a tough play for sure for DK Metcalf. But if he hauled that in, I think we were, we were, we were in there. Hopefully Geno Smith is not listening to today's beat the closing number. I've been supporting Geno since the middle of last season. He was a wagon for me. My bigger question for you is, have you been a Geno stand since his Jets days? No, very far from Geno stand, but (laughs) I mean, he was covering every week last year. Yeah, well, you can't just be a one-year, one-and-a-half-year bandwagon guy, though. What are we doing? you got to be I a, am. You I'm know, a, a one-and-a-half-year bandwagon guy. All right, so if you want to hear Mo's comments about Gino and read it to them a little bit more, a lot more complaints in the Lions Discord channel, along with our bets when we first place them. You can find the link over at thelines.com in the top right-hand corner. And you can subscribe also in the roles section of the channel to get notifications when Mo and I place our NFL bets initially. Hopefully some closing line value coming our way this week and yours. Week 7, Mo. 
If you're planning on betting any week seven action, first time users with BetMGM Sportsbook can use bonus code the lines to get up to a $1,500 bonus bet back. If your first bet loses, remember that bonus bets are not equivalent to real money. And as always, terms and conditions apply. Yumo DM'd me on Slack before we started, said this is one of the tougher weeks handicapping the NFL this season. I feel like we have said that every week of the season. And I'm not calling you out. I've said the same exact thing. So this goes in line. I saw this man and I was excited to share with you. Fun nugget. Currently nine of the 13 week seven spreads have a point spread of three points or fewer since the merger in 1970. There have only been five other weeks where over two thirds of the games had spreads of three points or fewer. 10 of 14 games, good for 71%, happened in 2017, week 5 specifically, 2016, week 10, 2005, week 5, and 1983 in week 7. And 9 of the 13 games also had the same distinction in terms of spreads being 3 or shorter, a field goal or shorter, in week 8. That coming in 2016, like I mentioned. 10 games, roughly 63%, is the highest number with a spread of three points or fewer in a 16 game week has happened six times most recently in week one of the 2016 campaign we start off with a field goal point spread we have a few of them i think yeah all the games that you and i are handicapping fun stuff are three or shorter on the point spread. Detroit at Baltimore. We are going toe-to-toe, my man. Baltimore is a three-point home favorite total between 42.5 and and 43. How are you handicapping? One of the best games of the season so far to me. Yeah, this one should be great. Um, Losers buying dinner next time we uh, actually hang out. Can I say that? Can I? I want to bring something up. You, me, and my fiance went out to dinner one night, and you what was the strategy that you wanted to do? Like some like roulette style of who was paid for CCR. dinner? CCR. Like, you never done that before? You never lived, clearly. Clearly not. Credit clearly card roulette. You just you you know, random number generate for who pays for the bill. Alright. Well, can't say I've taken part of that before. Anyways, because we are on a which is my fault. We don't have a ton of time before our guest, Todd Furman, coming up here. You don't have enough gamble in you, clearly. Clearly not. You play poker, I don't. Anyways, what's your handicap for Lions-Ravens? Well, why are the Ravens minus three when we don't even know if they're better than the Lions? I mean, (laughs) this spread seems kind of crazy to me. I would say they're not better than the Lions, and then... To top it off, they're coming back from London, so I don't know how the Lions are getting three points here. I know that the Lions have played a weak schedule, but they're completely destroying these bad teams. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do when they put bad teams in front of you. And then, speaking of bad teams, when are we going to start talking about the Ravens' clown schedule? They have faced the most incredibly fortunate run of quarterbacks something you kept saying about the Bengals last year the shoe was on the other foot with the Ravens this year I mean they got CJ Stroud who was very good but they got him in his debut and then they get hobbled Joe Burrow Gardner Minshew Dorian Thompson Robinson 
Kenny Pickett, and then half a game of Malik Willis. I mean, this is crazy. Like, the Ravens are walking on water this year as far as facing backup quarterbacks, whatever else. They faced backup quarterbacks in like half their games. I mean, I'm not saying Jared Goff is MVP candidate. Certain people in the company are touting him to be, okay? But Jared Goff is a very good quarterback if you give him a pocket to throw out of. The guy is very accurate if he has space to plant his feet and he has a strong arm. Especially in this offense. Yeah, he has good weapons, obviously. And then guess what? The Lions are shocker after, you know, we know this is a good offensive line. It was a good offensive line last year, and they're fourth in adjusted sack rate this year. Facing off against a Baltimore defense, 25th in pressure rate, man. I mean, I think Jared Goff's going to have some time. Only real concern for me, honestly, is Goff's poor record in bad weather outdoors on the road. But, man, it's actually kind of crazy. This game, these two quarterbacks are so similar, actually. I think like that's going to sound crazy to people because you have Lamar Jackson, who's half the time running around out there like a lunatic, and then Jared Goff, who like needs the most pristine pockets imaginable. But both of these guys are very, very good at times and also very prone to mistakes when you put pressure on them. I mean, Lamar seems like he's going to be under way more pressure than Jared Goff in this game. Uh, he invites a lot of it himself. I think he kind of likes to hold the ball a la a little bit of Russell Wilson in him in that sense, I think. All right, let's not go that far. We are talking, you are trying to make Lamar Jackson out to be some below average quarterback. In what do you mean? Russ was a good quarterback at times, but. Yeah, but he's not Russ level of holding on to the ball that long in the pocket. He invites a lot of pressure, I think. I mean, the Ravens, 24th in adjusted sack rate as well. So there's been pressure there. And I also really like, you know, I don't, this isn't a Detroit secondary that I trust whatsoever, but having Brian Branch back, it looks like could be pretty big. He's been like a superstar for them. And I don't know who's exploiting this. I'm still like not trusting the secondary, but I don't know who's exploiting it on the Ravens. I mean... Zay Flowers, maybe, and that's about it. I mean... Mark Andrews? I don't know if Mark Andrews is... He might be just like a guy now. When was the last time Mark Andrews impressed you? What is going on? What do you mean? He's been uh, whatever for the past year and a half. It's been two years since Mark Andrews played like a superstar. I'm not saying he's a superstar, but... To say Mark Andrews is whatever, he's not so, to use your term, something last name. Yeah, he's not a something, but he's not, when is Mark Andrews just wrecking someone? That hasn't happened in years now. I think the injuries might be getting to him. I don't know. Maybe. He has been banged up a little bit this year. All right. So I have some points in favor of your handicap but I do just want to say I bet the Ravens at minus two and a half on Monday and I would still play it at minus three so we are going toe to toe as I'm giving out the pick on the podcast so it is being graded at minus three and there are some minus 105s available be sure to shop around over at the lines.com as you alluded to with golf MVP odds open the season at 30 to one now down to as low as 16 to one Best price available is 20 to 1. Can we talk about how cowardly these sports books are with these quarterbacks now? 
They we are could. terrified of giving out a decent price on a court. I mean, Jared Goff, 30 to 1? Like 30 to 1? How is he not 100 to 1? <laughs> You're coming out with the takes today. I'm just saying, I love it. ever since Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes cashed all those 40, 50 to 1 bets, these sports yeah. books are terrified of giving a decent price on a quarterback. It's embarrassing. I mean, same thing with what happened with the Vegas Golden Knights when they made the Stanley Cup in their first year. Just from the standpoint that obviously books are going to adjust, but I understand what you're saying. So the London trend is interesting. And looking back at the last couple of weeks, because I've heard the trend being tossed around and I don't even want to throw out the number. I mean, teams have historically struggled against the spread after playing in London because of the time travel back and all that. But you look at Jacksonville last week against the Colts didn't happen. Falcons, one score game in the fourth quarter against Houston after playing the Jags in week four, I believe, in London, but ended up winning that game at home over Houston. So a little bit of the antithesis there in terms of the argument that teams automatically struggle in their first game back after playing overseas. Now, the Bills are a little bit of the example, but I think you can correlate more of their struggles against the Giants to a big-time banged-up defense and an offense that does not look in sync. And Josh Allen also might have been hurt late in that first half. But looking at this Lions defense here is where trying to zip through these three games before we talk to our guest, Todd Furman. They've allowed the seventh fewest EPA per play and the 12th lowest success rate. Week one, they played the Chiefs without Travis Kelsey. Sky Moore and Kadarius Tony combined for negative 3.23 EPA per target. Remember, Tony dropped that ball that the Lions returned for a touchdown. Pretty lucky. Week two, Seahawks, who are underperforming expectations, to your point. Week three, Desmond Ritter. Week four, Jordan Love, who I'll touch on later on. Week five, Bryce Young. Week six, Baker Mayfield. And Baker Mayfield, the lone quarterback of that group with an above-average EPA per play, but he struggles against pressure. Detroit had 15 pressures last week. Lamar Jackson, above-average in every single passing metric, including the ninth highest catchable pass rate under pressure. So yes, he may invite pressure, which is what you were alluding to, but he still excels against it and puts the ball in good spots for a talented receiving core, even though you want a talented receiving core. Yes. All right. right. We are going head to head. We don't need to disagree on every single These guys are bums. Okay, I disagree. Save Flowers, Mark Andrews, and Bums. You brought up Brian Branch returning at nickel. It's a good point. Baltimore, though, we'll see what comes to them in the second half because this is where I am a little worried. Top 10 success rate and yards per play in first halves this season. They rank number 30 in both of those categories in the fourth quarter overall through six games. So I have confidence Todd Munkin is going to turn this around, but... I get it from the standpoint of you being concerned about Baltimore's efficiency and Lamar Jackson in particular. I will say I think this line is higher if negative variance doesn't go against the Ravens, whether it's the Steelers game and all those drops, three for touchdowns, and a ton of injury luck going the Colts way. I think seven or eight starters out for Baltimore in their week three loss coming off that win at the Bengals in week two. So I think I'm getting a little bit of a discount, but want to get to your second bet. So we're going to head to head there just for context. Mill on Detroit plus three. I am on Ravens minus three. 
two and a half, but was betted up to three. Steelers at Rams, LA a three-point home favorite, total between 43 and a half, 44. Another big game. How are you handicapping it? Yeah, on paper, this line makes sense. You know, you like are looking at a Rams team that's probably better than the Steelers. They are at home, although it's debatable what that means in the case of these LA teams. Uh, the Steelers are off a bye, though, so that's plays in their favor here. So, yeah, I mean, this line makes a lot of sense. But I just, I just like this matchup for Pittsburgh, honestly. And I like the fact that this offense is probably underrated. I hate to say it because they stink and they've stunk so far and they're probably not going to be very good. But like getting Pat Fryermuth and Deontay Johnson back, both I think already full participants, that yes. could be massive. I mean, that that could be huge. And you got a Rams team that look at what they're doing on offense. It's so divergent based on the quality of the defenses they've played. Like they're putting up 26, 29, 30 when they face, you know, Seattle, Indy, Arizona. These teams can't stop anybody for the most part, uh, especially, obviously, Arizona. Um, and then when they face defenses with a pulse, San Francisco, Philly, and then that weird Cincy game, which, I don't know, I'm just going to leave that one out because, like, the Rams moved the ball there, but they also kind of got wrecked up front, uh, you know, 20 or less when they face San Francisco and Philly. I, I think Pittsburgh is closer to those quality defenses for sure, right? So I I like their chances here, especially because, dude, Matt Stafford, you can just watch the games and see how bad he's been under pressure this year. And the PFF grade is horrific for him under pressure compared to when, dude, they have him as a 91 when he's clean and a 55 when he's not. And I'm not like PFF is gospel type of guy by any means, but that jives exactly with what my eyes are telling me when I, he can't move anymore. Like it's crazy. If you get anybody near him, he's just, this is like the Tom Brady trying to escape back in the day. I mean, he cannot move anymore. I remember when Stafford was an athlete, he's just a, a statue now. So I mean, Steelers have a huge mismatch up front against this Rams offensive line. So I know Kenny Pickett's been a mess at times, but you know, the Rams have a poor pressure rate themselves and getting those two weapons back. I like Pittsburgh here. I'm a little bit afraid that if Matt Stafford stays clean, this could look like the Houston game where CJ Stroud had some good, you know, targets downfield and just absolutely shredded Pittsburgh. But the numbers still say this is a good pass defense. So, you know, they're top 10 EPA per play, top 10 in DVOA. So I, I like their chances here, man. And also Pittsburgh coming off the bye. And there aren't necessarily, well, you're getting Deontay Johnson and Fryermuth back to your point. I think Fryermuth, but you brought up Johnson. He did practice in full on Wednesday. TJ Watt also getting a chance to get healthy. Not that he's missed any games this year, I don't think, but dealing with some nagging injuries. So that's a benefit for a guy that means, I mean, you want to talk about value to a defense, whether you want to equate him to a massive value to the spread or not, that up for debate, but. Getting them healthy is big. I'm wondering if the market is starting to overcorrect on Pittsburgh to the point spread, to the degree that we saw with Minnesota last season. And I get it that you brought this up. Steelers offense, one of the worst in the league, fourth lowest DPA per play. Kenny Pickett, same standing, fourth lowest DPA per drop back among qualified quarterbacks, adjusted EPA for that matter. Ranks ahead of Daniel Jones, Bryce Young, and Zach Wilson. Uh, 
offensive weapons are coming back. So Steelers offense has not been efficient or making a ton of big plays outside of maybe that one touchdown to Austin in the Raiders game against a horrific Las Vegas secondary. Maybe we'll talk Bears Raiders later in the show. Just another horrific game to handicap. <laughs> but I I make this line around two and a half, a little bit below that. So I'm not betting the game, but I, I do kind of see a correlation to what we saw last year with Minnesota and the market downgrading Pittsburgh's offense rightfully so, but is it downgrading Kenny Pickett and company too much? I, I want to get your quick thoughts. Not that we have a ton of time here, like I mentioned, but quick comments to what I'm thinking there. With maybe you don't see a uh, necessarily an exact correlation to the Vikings. And I'm not saying it's pound for pound. It may be apples to oranges a little bit, but just from the standpoint that Steelers' offense is bad, like you said, Stafford's EPA is still below average. Doesn't move well under pressure. Pittsburgh should theoretically be able to get pressure in this game, especially coming off the bye week and assuming T.J. Watt doesn't re-injure himself. I think the Steelers are the side here if you're going to bet this game. I'm not, but any, again, thoughts on what I'm thinking there? I mean, yeah, I would say in the sense of, like, the market was very high on the Steelers coming in, and it's been nothing but pretty bad so far. So I do think, like, if this game was week one, like, there is absolutely no way the Rams would be favored by three. They have, they might be favored by, like, one. So uh, I think you're getting value based on the talent on the field, to be honest. Like, these are the same players, basically. It's not like these guys have been out for the year, you know, and neither team has lost a bunch of guys. And one other injury note, too, for the Rams, as we state on every podcast, how much can you really equate towards a running back's value to the spread outside of maybe Christian McCaffrey and some other key contributors in the passing and running game? But Kyron Williams, out for the Rams, expected to be back at the latest after their Week 10 bye. On to one more game, though, and then it's Todd Furman breaking down some NFL and college football. One of the best in the business, former odds maker now with his own podcast. Really fun listen, and also with CBS Sports HQ. And does some NHL stuff, too, for Puck Line, their show, with Lauren Jabara. Packers are one-point favorites on the road at Denver. Both teams kind of off a bye. Green Bay off a traditional bye, and Denver off of the mini bye after playing on Thursday night against Kansas City. Total anywhere between 44.5 and, and 45. By the way, if you want to play the... I'm betting Denver, and I'll get to my reasoning here in a second, but if you want to play the tank for Caleb Williams money line parlay, which includes the Packers, also the Bills, Commanders, and Seahawks, your Geno Smith-led Seattle Seahawks, that comes out to plus 383 this week, if anybody is interested. I am not. I am going back to the well with the Broncos for a fifth time. I have no such thing as a no-bet list, Mo, as you very well know when I handicap any sport, whether it's the NFL, college basketball, or baseball. Jordan Love, man, we touch on how bad Kenny Pickett has been. Jordan Love is at the forefront of Green Bay's concerns. And any sort of high ceiling that entering the season betters had for the Packers had a lot to do with Jordan Love exceeding expectations, excluding week one against the Bears. Bad Bears defense, to say the least. Number 25 in EPA per dropback. Desmond Ritter, Bryce Young, Jimmy Garoppolo, Daniel Jones, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, 
the lone names behind him. And also you mentioned performance under pressure with Pickett. 5.3% turnover-worthy play rate under pressure. Bryce Young, 3.3% turnover-worthy play rate. So you might not consider 5.3 to be a big number because it's theoretically so low, but Young's is lower just for context. And I'm also wondering what this spread is if Green Bay doesn't get that fortunate comeback against the Saints in the second half, especially in the fourth quarter when, I mean, Derek Carr's injury essentially flipped that game. Whether you want to say that an injury can play into a team's mindset or not, whether you really consider situational handicapping to be a thing, I think it was for New Orleans, just from the mental mind state or the mental state that they were in. But looking at this thing, on both sides of the ball in the trenches. I think the return of DJ Jones up front, a big addition to this Broncos defense. If you go back to week five against the Jets, the Broncos run D got gashed by Hall and the Jets rushing attack. Hall in particular, once Jones left that game in the first half, I think the first quarter, they're also getting Baron Browning back set to make his regular season debut. You can make the case that Denver's defense is the healthiest it's been, despite the fact that Stearns is on IR since week one. And not that it negates Aaron Jones is assuming he's back, his rear arrival coming back from the hamstring injury, but getting Jones and Brownie back definitely helps Denver's rushing defense. And on the flip side, the Packers have a bottom 10 run D across the board. No Devondre Campbell, and he's one of their better run defenders, especially at the second-ish level at the linebacker spot. The Broncos offensive line has the third best run block win rate, which correlates to their 32nd ranked situational neutral pace. They want to run the ball. They want to play slow. I think they'll be able to do so with Javante Williams and McLaughlin. Hopefully, even with P. Ryan practicing a little bit on Wednesday, McLaughlin's snap rate continues to increase. So I'm going back to the well here with the Broncos, Mo, despite the fact that Russell Wilson holds on to the ball way too long in the pocket, and his stats are definitely inflated when you think about Denver in a negative game script, because a lot of those numbers came when Denver was ahead. But, or at least in a neutral state, off play action and whatnot, and their explosive passing plays. Quick thoughts on Broncos Packers before we get to our guest. Not much, uh, but you're making me want to bet this under, <laughs> even though Denver's been a just, I think they might be undefeated to the over so far this year, or I guess until that Chiefs game. Um, it's just, this is not a game I had much interest in. It's two offenses that are really hard to handicap, man. I mean, both of these offenses have been really decent at times and then also really inept at other times so uh to me the line seems about right i would say like when i've been watching uh green bay a lot of it is just up front jordan love has just been a mess at times when other teams have been able to beat them uh, i don't think he's like super aware of where the pressure is coming from or what he needs to do when i mean look pressure... at the last play of their last offensive play against the raiders my god yeah it's just uh, something Rashid Walker is playing left tackle for them. I had to look this guy up. He's been getting wrecked to me, even though PFF is giving him a good grade. I don't buy it because I think he's been a mess. Uh, he's a seventh round second year guy. Um, but, and then on the other hand, I'm like, Denver has no pass rush. Like they have like the worst pass rush in the NFL. Green Bay can't stop the run, but I'm like not super excited about 
handoffs to Jaleel McLaughlin and the ghost of Javante Williams, who does not look anything like himself. Uh, He's getting healthier. Hey, the reports are saying, you know, you got to read it to player speak, right? He is getting healthier week yeah, by week. I don't know, man. I, I would lean, honestly, Green Bay, but no real interest in betting this game. No result would surprise me. Either one of these teams could win by 10, and I would be like, yeah, that seems normal. <laughs> Jordan Love, by the way, if you want to throw out a meaningless trend, against the spread coming for teams coming off the bye week. I want to pull this up here a second, but it made me chuckle. And I'm sure a lot of Packers bets are going to be coming in because of it. Since 2003 road favorites off a bye. And that doesn't include teams coming off a mini bye. I've seen this a couple years ago. Yeah. Road favorites coming off a bye, crush it. 77, 49 and two against the number 61% ish Packers minus one. So, you know, you're going to get a lot of green Bay bets. This week, despite the fact that Jordan Love may just suck. I All think right, it's actually usually the bigger favorites, like three or more, that has the best record, though. So, like, the the Context lower matters, favorites man. don't. Can't just throw out trends. Context matters, right? Don't ask me, buddy. <laughs> well, no one wants to use context these days in any sense. But... Now we're joined by Todd Furman at Todd Furman on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it these days. The host of the Bet the Board podcast and also an analyst for CBS Sports HQ and NHL Puck Lion. He's a man that bets on many different sports. Big time college football handicapper. Also big time NFL handicapper. And like I mentioned with hockey. How's it going today, Todd? Hey, I appreciate you guys having me on during football season because I feel like if we had this conversation three weeks down the road, Mo Eli would be asking me for my college basketball sleepers, <laughs> who I thought was going to win the Sun Belt. And the one sport that I've kind of thrown in the towel on over the years with more and more media stuff has been college basketball. So I give a guy like you, Eli, a ton of credit for delving into 350-plus teams and having opinions on everybody from the Gonzagas and the Arizonas of the world to the Norfolk States and company. Well, I've got a lot of prep left to go, so don't <laughs> give me a pat on the back. Just yet, a lot more to do over the next couple of weeks. But Todd, want to start off with the NFL and unders going back to week six, 12, two and one, good for an 85.7% hit rate. The highest hit rate over the last 27 years in that market for unders and unders this season, 56, 36 and one. 61% even in that regard. So we've seen a lot of overcorrections, not just with totals and unders, but in any market when we get this sort of a trend and you're not a trends guy necessarily using it for handicapping purposes or solely handicapping purposes. Mo and I are not trends guys trying to using it as the only handicap for our bets. But you look at all the banged up and backup quarterbacks playing this week, it, it makes trying to play some of these overs. And if there was an overcorrection, it makes it difficult to necessarily see value in a lot of the lower totals this week. You look at the Bears Raiders game, for instance, I alluded to this earlier. The total opened at 40 and a half. It's down to 37 and a half with Tyler Badgett and for Justin Fields. So Tyson, that- <laughs> you put some respect on that man's name. Tyson Badgett, yes, Division II quarterback. So I'm allowed to make a mistake there. But Todd, Tyler or Tyson Badgett, what's your perspective on totals this week? 
You know, it's interesting because you guys are right. When we look at the NFL, it is the model uh, for betting efficiency. So if you're seeing a trend like this start to emerge where unders have performed at such a ridiculous clip, that odds makers' hands are going to be forced. And eventually you're going to be going under totals instead of 43s and 44s that we grew accustomed to. You're going to be going under 40s and 39s. And as we saw last weekend with the lowest total on the board between San Francisco and Cleveland, it was one of the few games, depending on where you went over that total, you were potentially able to cash a ticket. And anyone who watched that game from start to finish, there weren't a ton of big plays. It wasn't like teams sustained drives, but you need so many things to go right in the current landscape of an NFL game to go under a total in that 35 and a half, 36 range. So you wonder where water will meet its level. But Eli, we dug into some of the numbers, and when you look at yards per play, that's down to one of the lowest levels we've seen in a while. Touchdowns, you know, at 418, I believe, at last check so far this season, down from where we've been over the last five to seven years. But there are some underlying factors that are contributing as well. You mentioned backup quarterbacks playing a role. Offensive line play has been an absolute disaster, and I'm not just talking about the New York Giants who were bringing in players like Justin Pugh off the couch and the local UPS driver to try and block for Tyrod Taylor and Daniel Jones, but you're seeing a difference in penalties being called as well. You've seen an uptick on the defensive side in defensive holding and illegal contact instead of pass interference. So while that may seem minor, those 30 to 40 yard chunk plays aren't a part of it. You're picking up five yards. Teams are still moving the football between the 20s, but they're finding it that much more difficult to punch it in and get sevens instead of threes. And I don't know if there's a greater illustration of that being on full display than for anyone that watched the Titans and Ravens last week. I mean, that game, that total opened at 40, steamed up into that 42, 42 and a half range. And if you tell me the Ravens are going to have six possessions in the red zone, one does come with the caveat that, of course, it came on the Kyle Phillips botch punt where they kicked the field goal on the ensuing play. But if they're going to get there five times organically and that game is still going to come under the total, I'd have laughed at you, but that's the world we're living in right now where if teams don't get sevens, it's tough to go over with reduced possessions, teams looking to try and minimize the mistakes that they're making, and a lot of too high safety looks where opposing defenses that don't have the athletes are going, you know what, if you're going to drive the football on us, that's fine, but we're not going to give up that big explosive play over the top and allow you to change momentum with a one-play drive covering 70 to 75 yards. Yeah, thanks for reminding me of that uh, <laughs> Titans-Ravens over. I think I beat that line by two points, and I got my teeth kicked in there. Uh, that was not fun. But, yeah, I think you're completely right, honestly, when you say about the red zone offense is honestly the biggest thing I've noticed with these unders. Nobody is getting the ball into the end zone when they get It's just It's been crazy this year. I think offensive coordinators are going to figure something out eventually. But anyways, uh, if we want to go to some of these games, one thing we definitely need is for you to break the tie. Eli loves the Ravens. I love the Lions this week. You tell me who's buying dinner next time or drinks or whatever it is next time I hang out or with you. Or roulette. Can you, can you explain <laughs> this process to Todd about paying for dinner? I had never heard of it. He wasn't born yesterday. Up. He probably knows about CCR. Oh, I got to hear this in greater detail, though. I, I'm always good for a theory, but if you guys have something you cooked up over there, uh, I need a little bit more in the way of specifics and details here, Mo. So the floor is yours, my friend. Credit card roulette. It's, uh, maybe oh. it's just a poker player thing. You know I, it. I, I, thought, I thought Eli See? was saying that you guys were walking into casinos and you were going to be like some of my numbskull buddies who decide that they're going to pick 
black or red, and that's going to be how they decide who's paying for dinner uh, on any particular outing. But I had a chance to see some of that unfold in a real roulette table. One guy played black, the other guy played red. So you guys know exactly where this story is going. Inevitably, it comes <laughs> Say up no green. more. Both of them lose their money, and they decide from wanting to go to a four-star restaurant that we should be eating in a casino cafe. But credit card roulette is one of those things for me. It all depends on who you're going to dinner with. And the obviously the cost of the bill, you need to shift the odds in your favor. So if it's going to hurt you more to actually pick up the tab, then the relief you're going to feel if you're splitting things, you know, I think you look at it on a case by case basis. And quite frankly, I have never been a massive fan. Uh, I prefer to gamble more in the unknown commodities uh, than typically going into a restaurant going, ah, you know what? I'm not sure I want to pay for dinner for my idiot friends. <laughs> I'm with you, man. I, plus, it was with it was the three of us. It was Mo, me, and my fiance. She's like, you were getting you the best about? of it. You were getting the best of it. <laughs> yeah, sure, whatever. All right, go ahead and Todd, break the tie for us on Ravens Lions. Yeah, for me, uh, it's Ravens are passing this spot, and I actually think it's a good opportunity to buy low on Baltimore in this particular game. You look at the Lions and the schedule of opposing offenses they faced. We can go through their schedule from top to bottom. And Kansas City, arguably the most dynamic team they played way back in week one, but that was, of course, without Travis Kelsey. We've seen this Chiefs offense really lack some of that big play potential all season long. And for the first time, maybe all year, the Lions are going to a game where they have to contend with a team that can run the football and a team that can throw the ball over the top. I know we talked about some of the red zone woes for the Ravens last week, but it's hard to ignore the fact that they were able to move the ball consistently. You know, Todd Munkin still trying to get a grasp of exactly what he has at the skill positions. And the player I think that can really break out here that's going to cause some problems for the Lions will be Mark Andrews. They've struggled to defend the middle of the field. And if the Ravens can get Andrews going in the passing game to stretch the deep middle, it's going to open up a lot of things underneath. You look at some of the zone concepts that Detroit has played as well. They're going to be painted into a box. I think Lamar Jackson's mobility here gives them a wrinkle offensively. And the other thing for me that's not built into the number, and I can understand why, because running backs are interchangeable, being without David Montgomery in this game changes the way the Lions can go about running the football because Jameer Gibbs isn't that same physically imposing downhill runner that we've grown accustomed to with Montgomery. Gibbs, I'm not sure he'll be capable of taking on a workload, assuming he is a full go. Craig Reynolds has missed some practice time this week. And if the Ravens don't have to commit an extra man to the box, it's going to make life a little bit easier to slow down Amon Ross St. Brown, take away the deep ball to Jamison Williams. And the other thing, boys, there could be some weather in the forecast in Baltimore. That's not the recipe that Jared Goff wants when he goes on the road. He had perfect conditions last week in Tampa, but he could find Mother Nature a force to be reckoned with this Sunday in Baltimore. All right, Eli. Sounds like I'm buying dinner. We'll see what happens. Um, or roulette. Or we'll do roulette <laughs> if you want to go that route. I'll put two cards in. You put one. Fair. I'll take it. The uh, My Kansas City Chiefs finally have a big game this week after pretty easy start to the season. Obviously, some very tough games coming up down the stretch. Um, but, yeah, this is a, a Chargers team they've had a lot of trouble with, even though they seem to usually win more often than not, but it's usually a squeaker or an overtime game. I'm, like, tempted to just slam the Chargers like I feel like I've done every time these teams have played recently. They just always cover against the Chiefs besides that overtime game. But, man, this one I'm a little bit 
nervous about betting the Chargers just because the, the Chiefs with the mini buy uh, and the Chargers coming off Monday night it seems like a really nice situational spot for the Chiefs. But the market did come in a little bit on the Chargers, moving it off six. So uh, do you agree with that move? And where do you see this one going? You know, you mentioned this series and the dynamics that we've seen in play. That only six-point win was the 34-28 game where Travis Kelsey scores the touchdown in overtime. And I think of the last six meetings between them, that's the only game that's been decided by as many as six points. So it has no doubt been the model of competition. But the Chargers showed me some things on Monday night that have raised concerns. And I think going into the game against the Raiders, we weren't quite sure what that offensive line was going to look like without their linchpin in Corey Lindsley. And that was fully exploited by the Dallas Cowboys and the pressure rate that they were able to get on Justin Herbert in that game on Monday Night Football. Herbert looked uncomfortable in the pocket kind of from start to finish. They don't necessarily have that player that can stretch the field without Mike Williams. I know a lot of people have bought into the Quentin Johnston hype, but it's going to take him a lot, little while for that light bulb to go on. And you look at Joshua Palmer dealing with a minor groin strain, came up with a couple of nice plays there, but just doesn't give him the big target to throw to downfield. Mo, you mentioned the mini buy for Kansas City, and I think it obviously helps immensely. Anytime Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes have a chance to put their heads together and correct some of the things that have plagued this team offensively, you know, it's always going to be a difficult nut to crack for an opposing defense. And this is a Chargers team right now. You look at some of the counting stats. They haven't been great in the secondary, but I'm not sure Kansas City can really exploit that. You don't go out and trade for a player that you let walk in free agency and McCall Hardman if you're thrilled with some of the depth that you have in the receiver room. But at the same time, I think the Chiefs defense has been one of the storylines that not enough people are talking about. I mean, this group has held every team they've played to 21 points or less so far this season. Chris Jones has been an absolute terror on that defensive line after missing the opener. And we talked at great lengths about that secondary being a group that nobody wanted to give credit to, but it's a talented mix of talent that they've put together knowing that they're built to play with leads. It almost reminds you of the Indianapolis Colts with Peyton Manning back in the day when Dwight Freeney wasn't going to be great in run support, but if you were playing with a lead and it was known passing situations, he was going to be able to pin his ears back. I think getting Charles Omenahu back this week as well on a limited snap count will help immensely. Uh, but for me, it's the series rivalry that makes it hard to condone or make a case for laying the five and a half. But without it being a six, probably a no-fly zone for me. Chargers or pass would be my initial lean. Uh, but I could also see making a slight case for coming in under the total. The one thing that's hard to factor in is the level of desperation you'll get from the Chargers. Lose this game, you go to two and four, and it almost feels like fait accompli that Brandon Staley will have to dust off that resume because he'll be looking for work somewhere else this offseason. Yeah, great points. Feel like I'm watching or listening to CBS Sports HQ, man. Love the analysis. <laughs> I, I know... Mo, we were going back and forth a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago. Todd brought up Peyton Manning and the Colts. You went to a Chiefs-Colts game, playoff game, right back in 04, and Todd was touching on the defense, but I know you were sweating out Peyton per usual, right? No, not not there. That was from my couch, uh, fortunately. Wow. But uh, yeah, I watched Peyton Manning destroy the Chiefs many, many times, and I was telling Eli, because he was like 10 when that game happened, the Chiefs once it lost a playoff game to the Colts where neither team punted. Hey, look, I mean, we've seen some of those iconic games between teams. You think of the Alex Smith Colts Chiefs playoff game as well. So look, this Chiefs team is going to be a force to be reckoned with. And it's kind of scary if the defense is the side of the ball, you feel more confident right now. 
Because when we look at the New England teams when they were in their heyday, you don't need a peak in September and October. Just be playing your best football when it means the most in December. And if they can stay healthy, anytime you have Patrick Mahomes out there operating under center for an offensive line, that's only going to get better. I mean, the road to Las Vegas this year still runs through Arrowhead. And someone's going to have to convince me otherwise, especially as Kansas City continues to solidify what they have on the defensive side of the ball under Steve Spagnuolo. I hate making Mo happy, so I'm a little disappointed that we're doing that. <laughs> I feel exactly the same as everything he said. I mean, I know you do. Nobody you is do. talking about the Chiefs, and I'm completely fine with it. I know. All right, on to one of the best matchups of the regular season. Miami at Philadelphia. Eagles opened as two-and-a-half-point favorites when the Lions came out on Sunday night. This spread dipped to as low as one and a half. It's back to two and a half across the board, including BetMGM Sportsbook. Remember to use the promo code the lines if you want to get up to a $1,500 bonus bet back if your first bet loses over at BetMGM Sportsbook. Jalen Hurts, man, the weather may impact Miami's passing efficiency, which is a concern if you're looking about the Dolphins, but Hurts' efficiency Going back to that Jets game and really overall this season, 25th on target throws this year. Good for a 60.7% completion percentage in that category. And also the third most turnover-worthy plays with 10. The second most interceptions with 7. So those turnover-worthy plays, we don't always necessarily see them get converted into picks. Kind of like Geno Smith. He had the most dropped interceptions among qualified quarterbacks last year. But the turnover-worthy throws are getting converted into picks for Hertz, like we saw on that last horrific, second-to-last horrific possession for the Eagles offensively last week against the Jets. But I digress. What do you make of Miami and Philly on Sunday Night Football with a total of anywhere between 51.5 and, and 52? I mean, look, Eli, all's well for the Philadelphia Eagles offensively. When you can bring in Julio Jones as your third receiver to try and pair him opposite A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, I think when you're looking at this game, there's obviously some injury concerns that you're going to want to factor into the handicap uh, as you get closer to kickoff on Sunday. You know, Smith was a DNP in practice dealing with a hamstring injury on Wednesday. If he's at least limited, uh, it creates a little bit of a gap and a void for the Eagles' uh, ability to show balance offensively. I fully expect Lane Johnson dealing with that ankle sprain to be out there. Dude is as tough as nails. And I think when you have that offensive line intact, it's going to be a problem. For the Miami Dolphins, who like to play with lighter boxes and take away some of those deep balls, because Philadelphia is going to be more than comfortable to try and run the football right at Miami. We've seen it on full display multiple times this year in prime time against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They ran the ball at will and were more than comfortable to eat up clock. You saw a similar scenario play out on Thursday Night Football earlier this year against the Minnesota Vikings. And I think, you know, DeAndre Swift is poised for a massive day in this particular matchup. But you mentioned Jalen Hurts and some of the inconsistency. We figured there could be growing pains when you make the change from Shane Steichen, his offensive coordinator, to Brian Johnson. And I'm not going to put this all on Brian Johnson. Look, calling plays in the NFL, being able to think two or three series down the road is a little bit of an adjustment in growing pains. You're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater for a team that's 5-1 and one right now. And you do have to give the Jets a little bit of credit for completely clamping down in that second half. But you mentioned the interception for Jalen Hurts. Not quite sure what Hurts saw in those progressions to try and create the short field for the Jets. But on the other side of the ball, I think that's what's going to be really interesting. Can Philadelphia make Miami a little bit more one-dimensional? You look at the opposing defenses that the Dolphins have faced this year, and guys, it ain't exactly a murderer's row. You're able to put up gaudy stats against the Giants, 
against the Carolina Panthers, against the Denver Broncos. But you go back to when New England was healthy on that Sunday night football game. New England had a great game plan. They kind of neutralized Tyreek Hill. You know, they rolled safety help over the top and just weren't going to give up the big plays there. Miami wasn't able to get the ground game fully on track. And in steps a Philadelphia defensive front that should be very good against the run. And if they don't have to commit extra resources to slowing down Raheem Mostert in this spot, it's going to allow them to disguise some coverages on the back end and make life more difficult for Tua. You look at Tua, though, one of the things he's done so well leading the offense this year, he's getting the ball out of his hands quickly. Less than 2.3 seconds per drop back, which will be imperative here because Philadelphia can get after the passer. Jalen Carter should be up for this game. They'll get Fletcher Cox back. I think this is a get-right spot potentially for Philadelphia. They're not going to completely neutralize the explosive big play potential from the Dolphins, uh, but if I was looking at a side in this game, I'd be much more comfortable laying the short number with the favorite than I would be trying to make a case for the Dolphins. And honestly, guys, when I look at the dynamic in the league right now, we always talk about three being one of the most critical numbers. There's a lot to be said about laying cheap money line prices with some of these short favorites that are out there because you're getting a lot more games in the analytics era to fall one and two than we would have, you know, five to seven years ago. But if you fall into the trap sometimes on social media, laying extra juice is always cost prohibitive. Sure, if you're betting every game on the board, you don't want to be laying $1.35 to $1.40. But if you're taking the sniper approach, looking to kind of pick and choose your spots, I have no qualms whatsoever shopping around laying $1.35 to $1.40 with Philadelphia on the money line, more so than laying two and a half, as I think this number could trend towards a field goal before kickoff on Sunday night. Yeah, I'm with you. Two has become more of a key number in the NFL, to your point, with all the two-point conversions that we're seeing. I mean, look at the Packers-Saints game from back in week four, I think, where the Packers went for two, down by a couple possessions, got it, and then kicked the field goal on their game-winning drive to eventually win that one and come back from down three possessions. We hit on the Packers earlier in the podcast, but also to your point with Tua getting the ball out of his hands so quickly, Connor Williams, the Dolphins center, who's missed two of their last three games, his status will be big. I'm also curious to see how Josh Joe matches up against an elite receiving core between Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, one of the worst cornerback raids across the NFL. No other podcast in the NFL betting space has talked more about Josh Job and Damari <laughs> Mathis of the Denver Broncos than Mo and I here. Hey, also, I mean, look, guys, there is a lot of Alabama lineage that'll be on full display come Sunday night from a quarterback standpoint to receivers to defensive backs. There is a ton of SEC bias going on in that particular football game. And I think it was interesting, too, because Nick Saban actually was asked about the relationship that Tua and Jalen Hurts had. He said that he hasn't had two better players that were more supportive of one another during their time playing on the same team. And obviously, Jalen knows he lost his job in that conf in that national championship game against Georgia. And then it was Tua coming in to uh, get bailed out by Jalen Hurts in that SEC title game. So two quarterbacks that will be inextricably linked in perpetuity. I'm already getting ready to mute the TV. Between Al Michaels acting like it's the 1970s when it comes to sports betting. I know it's fun and he likes to talk about the spreads and the totals. Like it's, you know, he's dealing with the mob, but I just get annoyed <laughs> by it. And then you have Chris Collinsworth acting like Zach Wilson is the second coming of 
Brett Favre or whatever the hell happened in week four between Chiefs Jets. But clearly you hear that I have a gripe to pick with the NBC Sports crew. Actually, Al Michaels is not with NBC anymore, so maybe it's more about my Amazon Prime issues than NBC. <laughs> Mike Tirico does a great job. I do want to give a positive affirmation before I start to hate on everybody. But anyways, Todd, on to college football. Mo and I don't bet college pretty much at all. You bet college a lot more. Discuss it a lot on your Bet the Board podcast. Penn State at Ohio State, one of the biggest games on the slate. You also mentioned Alabama. They're playing Tennessee, eight and a half point spread. But this line is a tick lower under the key number of seven. Ohio State lane four, four and a half. Look at line with seven. Penn State's offense, my surface level take, because I don't have much of a college take, is just their lack of explosive playmaking to keep up with the Buckeyes. But how are you betting this game? Or if you're not betting it, what's your perspective with the spread and the total? I mean, Eli, you hit on one of the key things that I think we're all going to be paying attention to on Saturday afternoon from Columbus. When you look at the big play rate for Penn State, they're outside the top 100 in the country, and that's not exactly a ringing endorsement when you consider the caliber of opponents they faced. I mean, you go through West Virginia, you play UMass, Illinois, Northwestern, Delaware of the FCS level. This is no doubt going to be a massive step up in class for a young quarterback in Drew Allar who doesn't have a ton of weapons on the outside to look to. However, the problem for Penn State has been they haven't been able to get the ground game on track. I mean, Nicholas Singleton and Catron Allen, a dynamic one-two punch, both averaging less than five yards per carry. And if they're unable to try and create some balance against this Ohio State defense, does a young quarterback have the bandwidth to go out there and make plays and win games? Meanwhile, on the other side for Ohio State, they've dealt with a rash of injuries, and there are some concerns that they're going to have to deal with. I mean, they haven't exactly gone out there and lit the world on fire offensively. Kyle McCord, a major step down from what they had at the quarterback position from C.J. Stroud. But when you have a receiver that's going to be drafted, most likely in the top five, in Marvin Harrison Jr., it can mask a slew of those offensive deficiencies. It looked early in the week that the weather was going to play a role here, but it appears the front will clear through, so I don't think that'll be an overwhelming factor. You have two teams that are inside the top five in the country in terms of points per game allowed, two of the best defenses from a yards per play standpoint, and you wonder if this will have the feel of a heavyweight fight where neither team wants to make that costly mistake or turn the football over early that can be their undoing. More so trying to show a little balance, feeling comfortable punting. Uh, and I think that's a big reason why you've seen under money come in when this total got as high as 47, 47 and a half. But I'd feel more comfortable going under a first half total than I would the full game. And it's truly been a battle in terms of the side. You did see some money come in on the underdog, taking it down to three and a half. And that was a bridge too far to cross because that's when Ohio State su support began to show up. And that's why we're in that four and a half, five, even five and a half range. So should be one hell of a game that'll go a long way, not just in the Big Ten race, uh, but allowing us to have some clarity in terms of which team has an inside track to getting to the college football playoff. And I'm sure James Franklin and that Penn State fan base would love to get that scarlet and gray monkey off their back, something that they haven't been able to accomplish in the last six meetings. Yeah, we're going to keep it in the Big Ten. That's This is my conference, so... I watch more Big Ten than anything, uh, for sure, uh, as a Nebraska hey, guy. Mo, as long as it's not the Big Ten West, because Big Ten West football will make you reassess the meaning of life if you're watching the Iowas, the Minnesotas, the Northwesterns, and the Purdue's every single Saturday. Listen, Matt Rule's taking us places, all right? The Huskers are going somewhere. 
Good luck. Hey, there's only one way to go, and it's up given the way that Scott Frost took that program down. That's true. That was a hire that I was completely wrong on. I thought he was going to be the innovative offensive mind to bring the Huskers into the 21st century. I couldn't have been more wrong in my assessment. <laughs> Let me tell you, I'm going to lose a nice used car to my buddy by the time this 10-year Nebraska versus Wisconsin bet is over. So don't remind me about Scott Frost. But uh, another coach who's actually – come back home and done good Harbaugh Michigan is in the best shape they've been in in a very long time as a program um, and now rivalry game facing a Michigan State team that is just in complete disarray any chance of a rivalry scare with a massive 24 point line there and then how do you feel about Michigan overall like They've got shorter odds than Georgia at some sports books to win it all. Um, when they still have a really tough schedule that does have the two teams we just talked about, Penn State, Ohio State, and then even like a frisky Maryland team on the road there with their offense. You know, I think it's interesting when you look at Michigan, they've gone out there and done what you want to see from good teams. They haven't faced a schedule that's extremely daunting, but they've left no doubt that they're the far superior team. And you dig into some of their box scores against Big Ten foes. They went on the road to Minnesota. They ended that game before the first quarter was over. They did the same against Nebraska. And Indiana landed the first haymaker last week, and then Michigan went on to score in seven straight possessions uh, to completely dash any idea that the Hoosiers are going to be able to pull off an upset. When you look at Michigan State, you mentioned a little bit of the disarray. They went out there and played you know, what I thought was a good football game last week against Rutgers, still trying to figure out how they completely self-destructed uh, in the inclement weather with a 24-6 lead, dropping punts, creating short fields, uh, and then ultimately holding on for dear life to cover as a four-and-a-half-point underdog in that spot. But the rivalry-wise, I just don't know where Michigan State goes for points. Uh, Hauser doesn't give them a dynamic downfield thrower. Michigan State wants to run the ball first and foremost, and I'm not sure you can do that against this Michigan defensive front. Uh, and I look at the Wolverines. While they don't wow you with overwhelming skill position talent, especially at the receiver spot, they're brutally efficient. And I think as Blake Corm continues to get healthier, you see a little bit of the big play potential from Donovan Edwards. It takes so much off of J.J. McCarthy's plate uh, that this Michigan team is very much for real. You mentioned the adjustment that we've seen in the futures market. I think some of that has to do with Brock Bowers and, you know, being unsure of exactly what his status will be going forward. Has a tightrope surgery on his ankle, expected to miss, you know, four to six weeks. Obviously, speculation will get rampant about will Bowers return for a playoff game? Does he want to focus on his NFL draft prospects more than anything else? But I think it's put up or shut up time for Michigan. They've been close each of the last two years, stubbed their toe and then some last year in the semifinal game against TCU. And for those folks who have already looked forward to the 2024 season, Michigan's going to find it real difficult to run through that schedule uh, in the new look Big Ten. It is an absolute gauntlet uh, of opponents when you try and identify some of the new members that are there. So I have no problems with Michigan being the favorite right now, at least slightly. Uh, but to your point, Mo, they're going to have their work cut out for them, and they're going to have to prove an awful lot down the stretch with a trip to Happy Valley, a home game against Ohio State. Things are only going to get more difficult for a team who's arguably put forth their best effort or best win on the resume against Rutgers, maybe UNLV, uh, not exactly the best strength to schedule, uh, but I think the Wolverines are for real and they're going to be very much in the thick of things for the national championship this season. You brought up conference realignment. I hate to be the grandpa 
that puts his fist up in the air towards the clouds, but I hate it so much, but we could spend 40, 45 minutes on conference realignment, which I'm sure you've done on your bet the board podcast. He is Todd Furman at Todd Furman on Twitter. Also analyst for CBS sports HQ. And if you bet any hockey does a fine job with Lauren Jabara on the NHL puck line podcast too. Todd, I know you have some Steelers blood now in your family. You got a terrible towel maybe by your side, ready to wave it in the air this weekend. Moe's betting the Steelers, so good luck to both of you. Good luck to you because you have a Steelers fan in your life now. I don't know how you do it, uh, but then again, we're yelling at screens and bitching about losing money. So I guess it goes both ways, right? I, I mean, look, Eli, you know, we make a lot of poor decisions in, in our lives and apparently marrying into a family of all diehard Steeler fans may be one of the most critical life mistakes I've ever made. Thankfully, they invent noise-canceling headphones for these kind of opportunities, and it's much easier to try and drown it out. And the other thing I've learned, if I'm betting against the Steelers, I don't disclose that information to my significant other, and I just have to bite my lip if I go downstairs during the game if I'm rooting against them. But you know what? It's not just that simple, because it's not only on Sundays. It's the four-letter words that get dropped on Saturdays, with ties to a proud program on the West Coast for college football as well. So little to say when I don't have a financial investment against USC and against Pittsburgh, those are the two teams I'm rooting for, maybe more so than even some of the bets I've made, because I know I'll be able to get my money back, uh, but I'm not sure I'm going to be able to have a stable and normalized household for the better part of 72 hours if both of those teams go down on the same fall weekend. If you're interested... In terms of USC and the tank for Caleb Williams Moneyline Parlay, it's plus 383 this week with the Bills, Commanders, Packers, and Seahawks. But I am going back to the well with the Broncos for a fifth time this season. So I wish you luck watching the Steelers game, and hopefully you do the same for me watching this Broncos disaster. It's also Jordan Love, so who the hell knows? But Todd, I know you got to get out of here, so thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate it, man. Hey, thank you guys for having me, and uh, best of luck with all your investments this weekend, guys. Thanks, you too. He is Todd Furman. Fun interview for Mo on Twitter at Monowire, for myself at Eli Herskovich. Play.thelines.com for any NFL Week 7 contest. Also, check out our Discord for any more NFL Week 7 bets over at thelines.com in the top right-hand corner. Thanks for watching and listening to another edition of Beat the Closing Number. So long, everybody. 